Welcome back to the Piano Rhapsody Podcast, a podcast where you follow me, an amateur piano player, working my way from an intermediate level, with the end goal of playing Rhapsody in Blue one day. Every week we take a look at one of the pieces I encounter along the way. Last week we began a series of preludes, starting with Bach in 1722. This week we're going to jump forward quite a bit to year 1838 the year that Chopin spent winter at the island of Majorca, during which he wrote his opus numbered 28, a collection of 24 preludes. Chopin suffered from tuberculosis and was trying to escape the nasty Parisian winter weather. So he took his girlfriend, a piano, and a copy of Bach's well-tempered clavier, you know, the essentials, and went off to the island of Majorca. Seemingly inspired by Bach and his work, Chopin wrote 24 short pieces, one for each major and minor key, just like his predecessor. He also decided to give them the same name, as Preludes, even though the title doesn't really make sense, because they don't preface anything, they're just standalone pieces. While Bach used his preludes to set the tone of the fugue that followed, Chopin's preludes were self-contained, atmospheric mood pieces, each one reflecting an aspect of his personality, some charming, some horribly depressing, some absolutely terrifying, each one unique, like a specific color on an artist's palette. Because of the personal nature of this work, it did not come easy to Chopin. And no one could say this better than someone who witnessed Chopin's anguish firsthand, his girlfriend, George Sand. Now she was quite an interesting character herself, and a very progressive woman for her time. She would dress in men's clothes, smoke cigars in public. If a man was going to do it, George Sand was going to do it. That was her motto. While many people were critical of her at the time, her peers respected her and her talent. One of her French writer friends, Victor Hugo, most famous for writing Les Miserables and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, had this to say about her. George Sand cannot determine whether she is male or female. I entertain a high regard for all my colleagues, but it is not my place to decide whether she is my sister or my brother. Pretty progressive for the 19th century. Anyway, Miss Sand had this to say about Chopin's tortured soul. She writes, He shut himself up for days, weeping, pacing, breaking his pens. He spent six weeks over a single page, only realizing he had it correct at the very first. Chopin's emotional strife translates well to his work. Some of these preludes practically bleed from the page. Even if this were the only work Chopin had ever written, it would have immortalized him as one of the most multifaceted, fully formed composers of all time. While Chopin never played more than four of his preludes at one time during a concert, it's fairly common these days for the whole set of 24 to be played at one sitting, giving this work a unique duality, where it can stand alone as 24 short pieces while simultaneously existing as one continuous one.
This is supported by the way Chopin chose to organize them. While Bach organized his preludes chromatically, gradually going up the scale one tone at a time, this leads to drastic sonic changes in key signatures when the preludes are played back to back. Chopin, however, decided to adopt a technique that we talked about in the last episode, using the circle of fifths to provide a more natural, flowing transition from prelude to prelude, giving off the impression that it's just one elongated work. Now, Chopin didn't title any of his preludes, but a man named Hans von Bülow gave them all unofficial names. And I kind of like them, I think they are pretty fitting, so we're going to use them when we talk about them. So let's jump into one. Let's take a look at Chopin's Opus 28, number 4, Prelude in E Minor, Suffocation. So as you can probably imagine, this is an upbeat dance number. <laughs> Just kidding, not with that title. I've always interpreted this prelude as Chopin's struggle with accepting his tuberculosis illness and inevitable early death. But even with this dark subject matter, this is probably one of my favorites in the whole set. And I'm not alone. Chopin himself requested that this was played at his own funeral, along with Mozart's Requiem. It's also one of the most popular of Chopin's preludes. Most notably, it's played by Jack Nicholson's character in the film Five Easy Pieces. It can also be heard in episodes of The West Wing and Star Trek, along with other movies like The Pianist, The Notebook, Death Wish 2, Florence Foster Jenkins, and even in the modern film classic Fifty Shades of Grey. Because what is sexier than a prelude about death? As the title suggests, the prelude is written in E minor and opens with the home chord. The right hand plays a sad yet beautiful melody of elongated notes, while the left hand drums out relentless chords, giving off the suffocation element that reflects Von Bülow's title. The motif of death is illustrated through a chromatic drop in the left-handed chords, each chord dropping by one step, one note at a time, almost like a decay of the left hand. Halfway through the prelude, the chord resets back to the home chord of E minor and begins the decay all over again. From here, the prelude builds to an emotional climax, culminating in Chopin's grief or rage, or even more likely a combination of the two. But the climax is short-lived, and the resolution sets in. Then after a brief rest, the prelude closes in three soft chords, ending in E minor, a peaceful moment in accepting the inevitability of death. And now, the prelude in full. Chopin's Opus 28, number 4, Prelude in E minor, Suffocation.
It's heavy, I know. But good news is, this is the two-for-one week. So why don't we look at one of Chopin's preludes that are in a major key, as a sort of palate cleanser. Let's check out prelude number seven in A major, The Polish Dancer. At only 16 bars, this is one of the shortest preludes in the set, and it takes about a minute to perform. Von Bülow's title may come from the fact that this prelude sounds like it would be right at home in a music box. Or it could have something to do with the fact that Chopin borrowed the rhythm for a traditional Polish dance, the mazurka. While Chopin may have lived in Paris at this point in his life, he was Polish at heart. This nod to the mazurka is Chopin's way of injecting a sense of national pride into his work. I couldn't find many pop culture usages of this prelude, but I did see some comments on YouTube that it was used in a Titanic video game which I'm not quite sure how you'd win that game, but I digress. I also have this memory of it being used in a commercial in the late 90s. I recall a young blonde girl playing a piano. I think it was on top of a mountain, or on top of a hill. And I think it was for a bank, but it might have been for an insurance company or something. It's very vague, and googling young blonde girl playing Chopin doesn't really yield any useful results. So if anyone out there remembers this commercial, please email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com to affirm that I am not a crazy person. So the form to this prelude is remarkably simple. There's a two-bar theme. And it is repeated seven times. That's it. Number seven is known as one of Chopin's idyllic preludes, which are monothematic, in a major key, played at a moderate tempo, and usually soft. This prelude follows all of those rules and progresses to a climax during the sixth iteration of the theme, using a chord in the right hand that spans a whopping 10 keys, proving that Chopin had some big hands. So see if you can pick out that monster chord as we listen to the prelude in full. Or if you have trouble, just count to six. So here is Chopin's Opus 28, number seven, prelude in A major, The Polish Dancer. Chopin's Preludes are another integral work in the piano repertoire that I guarantee we will revisit on this podcast in the future. 
while Bach utilized preludes to set the key for the fugues that followed? Chopin transformed the idea of a prelude into short, standalone capsules of emotion. This new take on the prelude would inspire future composers that we will talk about in the coming weeks. But first, let's flash forward to 1890 in London, where a young Spanish composer is taking the city by storm. Next week, a prelude by Isaac Albanese. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find the standalone recordings to both of the preludes discussed in this episode in the podcast feed. Speaking of, please take a second to subscribe if you have not done so already, so the new episodes will pop up directly in your feed. You can reach out to me on Twitter, at Piano Rhapsody, email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com, especially if you've heard of that commercial that we were talking about before. And you could also stream all of the recordings heard on this podcast and more at my SoundCloud page. I think that covers it. Have a good week.